What a day that will be. I'm going to invite you to stand at this time for the reading of God's Word. We're going to continue to worship the Lord together by reading the Scripture together and then ask God to teach us what this passage means. So 1 John chapter 1, we're studying through the book of 1 John together. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This, this is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Let's pray together. Father, you would not have warned us in your word that we are susceptible to saying we have fellowship with you while actually in reality we walk in darkness unless there's a high likelihood that that would be the case in our lives. So Father, there's no one more blind than the one who's blind but thinks they can see. We need help understanding what spiritual light and spiritual darkness really are. So would you use your word to help us to really be able to see? We confess we, we can't see accurately without you. So we're asking for help, trusting that you will give it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you may be seated. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So if you're walking with God, that would mean that you're not walking in darkness. That's, that's, uh, what I love about John is he says things that are so simple, and then the Holy Spirit is also using John to say things that are really, really profound. So let's just take the real simple. You can't have fellowship with God while you're walking in darkness. Why not? Because he's light. And the only way you walk in light is if you've come out of the darkness. So what we want to do today is to, to really be able to see what does it mean to have fellowship with God and also what does it mean to walk in darkness. And uh, Luke chapter 8, if you want to be finding that chapter in your Bible, is going to, going to help us. But I want to talk to you about light for just a moment. And here's how we'll come at it. How many of you this morning, you have a Christmas tree up in your home? How many of you are already there? All right. How many of you, your tree's not going up till after Thanksgiving? You're kind of, you know, Thanksgiving first. Then the tree, right? You're, you're, you're there. Or some of you just say, well, I haven't even thought about that yet. All right. So those of you who have a tree up, how many of them are, are kind of pre-lit? Plug, plug in. How many of you, it's your job to put the lights on the tree? Like that's, that's you do that. You wrap them up. Can we, can, can we just pause for a moment? Maybe we need to pray for you. That's, that's frustrating, isn't it? We've been there, Julie and I, Julie at our house, that's, that's kind of her thing, she does the lights, and the reason it's her thing is because I'm terrible at it, I'll just be honest. One strand, then I just kind of throw them at, at the tree, and wherever they are, this, but she likes to weave in and out, gives the tree depth, so she's told me, and I'll be honest, when she does it, it look, does look a whole lot better, but it can be difficult, right? So you just say, well, let's just get the pre-lit, and so we've all, we've all been there. Now, here's my question to you, why are you putting lights on a tree to begin with? Is it to be able to see in your house? How many of you have put a tree up, plugged it in, whether you put the lights in or not, and then you said, finally we can see? No, you didn't say that. 
Why are you doing that? You've already got other lamps in your house, don't you? I mean, nobody, the, the Christmas tree is the only light in the house. Again, you don't put it up and say, well, we can finally see around here. Actually, you probably put the tree up and then dim the other lights, don't you? Because it's not a tree that you light up in order to see by, because light is something you see by, but it's what you do because light also has beauty to it, doesn't it? And when you, maybe you load up in the car at Christmas time and you get in the car and you're going to ride around to see the lights. Why are you doing that? It's just beautiful, isn't it? Light is to see by, but there's also beauty in light. So when, when John says God is light, yes, God helps us to see, but he's also saying that God is beautiful. A couple of weeks ago, we asked it this way. Do you follow God because you find him useful or because you see that he's beautiful? He's glorious. He's magnificent. He is above all things to be desired and prized and esteemed. See, the light isn't just a a utilitarian use. There's a beauty to it. In the same way, the darkness isn't just dark. There's a devastation to it. When we begin to see that God is the light that we walk by, yes, because it's God who allows us to be able to see, to see truth, to see reality, to see what's really going on, to see what's really good, to see what's really worth loving and and, and living for. It's when you see that you can see and that he's beautiful. Again, just think about your Christmas tree. If you're you're like me, I love to turn the tree on and just sit by it for a moment and rest and relax. Is the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ what you rest in? You draw near to the Lord because it's in Him you you find rest. It helps you. It matters that you can see, but it also matters, can we think about it this way, what you look at. And what you're hoping in. What's the first statement God makes in the Bible in Genesis 1? Let there be light. And then he creates a world that is beautiful. Fruitful. It's both. What we see. And that he's beautiful. That's what it means. Chapter 1 verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him. You see, John contrasts two things in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So, question. If we're walking in darkness while we say we have fellowship with him, who are we lying to? That's what he said. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. Who are we lying to? Well, two people. Others? which is more than two people I know, but who else are we lying to? You're lying to yourself. So can I, can I ask you again to, to, to believe this in light of the Scripture? You lie to you. You lie to you about you. And you lie to you about you and about your walk with the Lord. That's what John is saying here. That's why we need help from outside of us to help us understand what's going inside of us. So if you're in Luke chapter 8, Here's what I want to do. This is an account from the life of Jesus, 
when the light of the Lord Jesus Christ encounters the darkness, and it is serious, this is a significant moment that happens. Jesus confronts the darkness. So we called the whole message this morning, revealing the darkness by the light of Christ. Because here's what we're going to learn. If you have an outline and want to follow along, Jesus does desire for you to have a joyful life. Satan desires for you to have a miserable life. And these two things are going to collide right here in Luke chapter 8. And what Luke 8 is going to allow us to do is we'll be able to answer the questions. What is the darkness? What goes on in the darkness? You're going to see it. And then we're going to get help because we're also going to learn what fellowship with God really is. And we're going to be able to see both of those things in this passage. So here we go. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Then they, that's Jesus and the disciples, sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, can we appreciate for a moment? Jesus has shown up. Praise God. Amen. Jesus has shown up. There met him a man from the city who had demons. Now, a lot of people scoff at statements like that. Demons. There's no such thing as demons. Well, friends, there are spiritual forces of wickedness. For a long time, let that rest on you. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man for many, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to enter into these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man... And entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the, leak, into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. The people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from the demons, from whom the demons had gone, begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is one of the clearest places in the Bible when we see the light of the Lord Jesus confront and push back the spiritual forces of darkness. So let's use this passage together just to talk about the darkness for a moment from God's perspective. What are the hallmarks of the darkness? Number one, it's a separation from friends and family. Listen to a couple of scriptures about your spiritual enemy. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, I want to, the enemy's strategy is to keep you from seeing the light or to see that it's beautiful. 
right? That's what he just said. John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission statement for your life. And it's happening in this man's life, right? To steal, kill, and destroy. Praise God, Jesus said in the same, same verse, John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Did you notice here in Luke chapter 8, it says, For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house. And then after Jesus restores him, Jesus tells him to do something. Did you notice? Return to your, what, according to verse 39? Return to your home. So here's the first hallmark of the spiritual forces of darkness, is to separate you from your family and from your friends. What's, uh, what's the front line of spiritual warfare? It's in your home. It's in your home. So, so know this, when the enemy comes against you, he's coming against your home. He is, friends. Spiritual attacks begin in the home. This, this, whatever happens in this guy's life, it seems to have begun with the fact that there was a divide, there was a separation in his, in his home. Your family matters, your church family matters. So if the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life, that's where he's going to begin. So you cannot be passive about this in your life. He will attack your marriage constantly. In fact, Genesis chapter 2, a man will leave his mother and father, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one. They were both naked and unashamed. The very next sentence in the Bible. Don't think of it as a divide. In your Bible, you say, and then we flip to Genesis 3. No, this happens right away. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he immediately comes. As soon as God establishes marriage, the enemy comes against it. Do you see that in the scripture? Because friends, without healthy homes, nothing's going to be healthy. Not the government. Not the education system. Not this church. The home is the foundation. So he, the enemy comes against you there. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures, passages, scriptures to hear today and to think about. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's how the spiritual attack usually begins. What did the Bible just say? If you're a husband, you're to do. Love your wife as Christ has loved the church and, what's our verb? Gave himself up. Now you've already heard me quote Genesis 3.1. The serpent is subtle and crafty. He doesn't show up, knock on the door and say, I'm here to steal, kill, and destroy. No, 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 no. He actually says, I'm here to give you life. And life more abundantly. He rips off Jesus. And here's how it usually starts in a home. That a husband begins to think, this is not a place where I give. This is actually a place where I get. And you're halfway there to a destroyed home. You are. So husbands, you need to take inventory. and Look at your wife and say, I give to her as Christ gave the church. Now, that doesn't mean you do it perfectly. But do you begin the day thinking, not what can everybody around me give to me. But I'm here to provide to protect husbands dads you're responsible for the spiritual tone and atmosphere in your home you are 
And here's how it comes. Well, just let somebody else do that. No, no. You're to do that. The, the enemy begins by making you endeavor to be a whole lot active in some things, but spiritually apathetic. That's where the attack comes. Now, we inherited as men spiritual passivity from Adam. But if you've been born again, you are no longer spiritually passive. You have a new nature after the likeness of Christ Jesus. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father, for this is right. So I just tell every child, every young person here, I love you enough to tell you something you're not going to hear on any movie. You're not going to see on any TV show. It's not going to be in the chorus of any popular song. It's not going to be on TikTok or anywhere else. There's no more certain door you can open to the spiritual forces of wickedness in your life than to get to the place where you say, I don't need to listen to them anymore. They're out of touch. And we're not told how this man became so deeply involved with the darkness, but in all likelihood, it begins with a separation from his friends and his family. Once we're isolated from family, once we're isolated from church family, we become much more susceptible to the enemy's attacks. Because pretty soon, the only voice we're listening to is our own. And so we say, you talk to you about you more than anybody else, but you believe you more than anybody else. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Our world says, follow your heart, right? So, man, we got to take care of each other in our families. And then the church is, is like a family. We need each other. Nobody walks in the light alone. A whole lot of people walk in darkness alone. You know what I'm saying? you got to have other people in your, in your life. So, hallmark number one is a separation from, from friends and family. Number two is a strange preoccupation with death. Strange preoccupation with death. It says, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. Can we just appreciate for a moment that that's strange? To want to live there. Strange preoccupation with death and with darkness strange fascination with these things y'all we just went through october anybody notice this strange preoccupation we put these things up as decorations now right tombs all manner of darkness it's not just october anymore I don't know whether to tell you to turn your television on or turn it off, but if you do turn it on, what are you going to see? A strange preoccupation with death. That's what you're going to see. So I'm going to stream something and you just flip and you just look. Or maybe I should really be a good pastor and tell you, stop looking. Death. Serial killers. Shows talking about the dead, walking with the dead mediums and wickedness friends this isn't healthy it's darkness next hallmark is a strong rebellion 
against any and all authority. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, but would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. It's violent. Violence is always a hallmark of spiritual forces of darkness. Nobody could contain him. It's a saying. He will not submit to any authority over his life. Nobody can tell me what to do. Then there's next a hallmark is a pattern of uncleanness or immodesty. It says, for a long time he had worn no clothes. And then again, after the work of Jesus in his life, when Jesus drives the demons away, we're given this description. He sat there, or he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. So the demonic forces had stripped the man of decency and dignity, and they cared nothing about his modesty. And ours, ours is a generation fixated on immodesty. One of the primary reasons I believe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is so weak in 2022 is because of a widespread out of the church, but also in the church, fixation with indecency. We are drowning in pornography in this culture. And behind all that is the powerful forces of spiritual darkness. So let's speak clearly from the light of Scripture. If you're regularly looking at images and videos of people barely clothed or not clothed at all, you're walking in darkness. My appeal this morning is to those who are And you would be the first to say, there's no joy here. There's no peace here. There's no life here. I don't want to be here anymore. The enemy steals, kills, and destroys by getting people into the darkness. And then once in the darkness, convincing them that's all that will ever be. And you're stuck there. Can we appreciate the passage here? You don't have to be stuck there. These are powerful forces. But praise God Almighty, they're not the most powerful. But in light with the Scripture, you can't stay in the darkness. But what you'll convince yourself is, I have to stay here because I'm isolated and alone. That's the effect sin has. It allures on the front end, gets you stuck, and then says you got to stay here. So I just want to say some things in the light. Jesus is greater. We don't come out of the darkness alone. You need people that are going to help. And I believe we're a church family that we're going to help each other. And sometimes the enemy keeps you trapped in the darkness because you don't know how to start the conversation. Asking someone, you say, I don't know what they'll say. So I'm going to go on publicly and say, here's what I will say. You come to me and you say, 
Brandon, I am in the darkness and I have no joy, no peace. I want out of here. Here's what I'm going to say. Praise God. That's the evidence of God at work in your life. That you say, I'm not going to stay here anymore. And then I'm going to say, Jesus is full of grace and truth and power. And because of him, there is hope. And the second thing I'm going to say is we're going to work together. And we're going to walk together in the light. There is power in the Lord Jesus to come up out of some things. In line with this, the next hallmark is deep restlessness and sadness. Mark's account of this passage says, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountain, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones, cutting himself, hurting himself, harming himself. The enemy's a liar, promising freedom, but always leading you to the opposite of freedom, promising life, but leading to death. And, and one of the um, devastating and tragic patterns of the culture right now is the increase, particularly among young people, cutting themselves, harming themselves. That's the next one, pattern of self-harm. So by God's grace, as we desire to be people of the light, say some statements from the light. If the thought ever comes into your mind to hurt yourself, cut yourself, do violence to yourself, that comes from the spiritual forces of wickedness. And you need to know there is a God who cares about you. There's a God who cares about you even when you don't care about you. I mean, just think with me through the passage. They get in the boat. They cross to the Gerasenes. A long trip to get over there. Jesus interacts with this man. And then you know the passage. We read it. What happens? He gets back in the boat and leaves. What does that show us? Who did he make the whole trip for? One person. I'll leave the 99 and go after the one. That's what it's showing us. Amen? He steps in. says, I'm going to bring life and light and healing to this one person. So... If the thought ever comes to your mind, well, God doesn't really care about me. Well, you need to resolve that at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because on the cross, he displays publicly and eternally, he cares about you. And stop letting the liar lie to you about his goodness. But I will tell you, like this man, you live in a similar culture. Because when Jesus brings the light, they actually beg him to leave. Why? Why? Jesus comes along and disrupts everything. And you think about this with me. They preferred the darkness to light. That's what the Bible says. Jesus is the light of the world. The light's shining in the darkness. But people prefer darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. What happened in this account? Pigs. I mean, it's, it's memorable, isn't it? Pigs run off into the water and, and drown. And when the people saw it, this is what it says. Verse 35, then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told how the man had been healed. You might think, verse 37 would say, then the people of the surrounding country praised God and said, hallelujah. That's not what happened. They asked him, the verb is begged him, pleaded with him. Can you please leave? Why did they do that? 
Because God had messed with their money. That's why they did it. Because lost our herd. It's true. A culture under the influence of the spiritual forces of wickedness will always prefer prophets to people a hundred out of a hundred times. Just bypass him. He's healed. Well, I don't care about that. I care. I'm going to have to take a loss on this. And when a culture or a society begins to make their decisions on the basis of, will this lead to greater and greater profits that always grinds down care and compassion for people? But you want some good news? God's not like that. Praise God Almighty. He's not like that. Do we, have a, do we have another screen? Can we go to the next one? I just want you to read them for a moment. These are the hallmarks we get from Luke 8. The hallmarks of the darkness. A separation from friends and family. How are we doing with that in our culture? Strange preoccupation with death, strong rebellion against any and all authority, patterns of uncleanness and immodesty, deep restlessness and sadness, pattern of self-harm. Now, if we hadn't read Luke 8, and I just put those on the screen, you would say, that does sound like us. Yeah, it does. But can we have the grace to receive that this is what the spiritual forces of wickedness do and are? Give me a couple of things that I know, I just, I just know, I know enough to know what I'm about to say, kind of going to get laughed at in the world around us, but can we just agree we can't keep going the way we're going? There's nothing but darkness and death. So you say, how did this guy get here? I don't think he goes from living at home one night to living among the tombs the next night, right? Gradual, subtle. I do think there's a, a doorway that's implied here to the darkness. It says he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. That means that his, his mind had been altered. So again, I, I, by God's grace, I want to love church family enough to know, that, again, that this might not be well received elsewhere, but you're my church family. So I'll just tell you, man, if you drink, inject, smoke, or otherwise partake of any substance that alters your mind, you are opening a really dangerous door. You are. You remember, the enemy's subtle. And for us as a church family, if he can't get you to completely be immersed in the darkness, he's fine with you being just a little less bright so that it doesn't shine too much on the world around you. But I also want us to look that, uh, well, I think we would agree these hallmarks are so evident around us. We want to ask why. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's another explanation of how we got here. And I was reading this passage on uh, Friday. And I was uh, encouraged and... (laughs) Well, let's just look at some things together. I'll say for how it made me feel. Maybe it'll do something similar to to your heart. Let's have the Bible help us here. So, so Luke 8, 26, they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. So that's when Jesus shows up. 
So if we rewind the tape a little bit, let's just see what's been happening leading up to this passage and get some help to understand how we get there. Does that make sense? And then how we might ask God to help us to bring some light to our city, to our homes, to our nation, to the world. So uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 17, now verse 16. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more, who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. That's a, that's a warning from Jesus, right? And, and, it's, and he's saying you got to take care how you hear. The teaching of God, you got to take care how you hear it. Because it doesn't matter if you hear it frequently, if you just don't ever do it. Amen? So one, Jesus says, i got to warn you about this. And remember, anytime you read a warning in the Bible, what's implied is you need to know that you're really susceptible for doing, for doing what I'm telling you not to do. So number one, he says, you got to take care how you listen. Can, can I just ask you, when you listen, when we're here together, how do you listen? You say, now I, I hear the word of the Lord, and now I need God's help to go do it. Because if not, then you're just going to get in a pattern of what James says, we hears of the word only, and so deceive yourself but we keep reading verse 19 then his mother and brothers came to him but they could not reach him because of the crowd he was told your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you but he answered my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it and then verse 22 he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them let us go verse 26 then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes and there met a man from the city so that's the word of the Lord if you are a subtle sneaking conniving dark spiritual force of wickedness, you might decide to do this. I don't care what they hear so long as they never do. I'm okay for them to gather so long as they never go out. Just give them anything to focus on except for going out into the darkness. We can get them to be so inwardly focused that they'll just begin to care about their own preferences, their own comfort, and self more than other people. Get them to hear without doing, and then before long, they'll never actually go. Isn't that what you would do? If you were, I mean, don't, maybe don't think like the devil. But you understand what I'm saying, right? And that's all it takes for the darkness to thrive. But now let's take a few minutes and see what living in the light really looks like. Because Jesus can restore us to joyful fellowship with the Father. And this man who is healed and comes out of the darkness into the light, he's going to show us what fellowship with Jesus really looks like. Remember, if 
we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So what does fellowship with him look like? Well, we learn it right here. It begins with honor and reverence for Jesus. Verse 35, found the man whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus. Complete change and transformations brought into his life. Praise God, when Jesus is the physician, the healing is comprehensive. He sits at Jesus' feet. Is that a posture that you can relate to? It's a posture in in those days that's saying, he's authority. He's above me. I'm in submission to him. Because it does, you're going to be in submission to something, either sin as your, uh, as your authority or, or Jesus. So there's an honor and reverence for Jesus. And then what does fellowship look like? A deep desire to be with Jesus. When the crowd begged Jesus to depart, the man begged Jesus that he would be with him. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. You have a deep desire to be with Jesus. Again, do you see him as good and glorious? See who your heart longs for? And then another hallmark of fellowship with God is a life devoted to declaring what Jesus has done for you. But Jesus sent him away, into verse 38, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Did you see it? Where we've been in Luke 8? Take care how you hear. Don't hear and not do. My family are those who hear what I say and do. And then Jesus says, then you go. And isn't that exactly what the guy does, right? He listens. He's submissive to him. And then when Jesus says, go, he goes. Those are the markers of fellowship with God. So let's think through the passage of 1 John one more time. He puts it so succinctly. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So from Luke 8, I'm going to zoom out and just say it this way. If we say we have honor and reverence for Jesus, that we have a deep desire to be with Jesus, and that our lives are devoted to declaring what Jesus has done for us while we have strained relationships with those God has called us to love and serve, maintain a strange preoccupation with death, regularly allow immodesty and pornography into our lives, lack any joy and peace that comes from knowing Christ, and have patterns of harming ourselves while never going out to love and serve others, we lie and do not practice the truth. Fellowship with God begins and is sustained by the cross. So in conclusion, look with me at the cross. Can't you see all the hallmarks of spiritual forces of darkness at the cross? And there's Jesus, isolated from all his friends. Hardly any of them have shown up. They strip him of his dignity, spit on him. Give, give him no decency. 
He's bruised. He's scourged. He's nailed to the cross. And then they lay him in the tomb. And then he rose again. Do you remember when they went to the tomb? It's poetic, but it's beautiful. First day of the week at early dawn. They went to the tomb, taking with them the spices they had prepared. When they got to the tomb, they found the stone rolled away. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. An angel in dazzling apparel stood by. They were fearful and put their face to the ground. And the angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen just as he said. And friends, because he's alive, you do not have to walk in darkness anymore. Hear the word of the Lord and do it. Repent and place your faith in him and live and live. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We say we have fellowship with him. While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But friends, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray together. And this is, this is fascinating to me, but I think it's true. Right now, the Holy Spirit is working, and so are the spiritual forces of wickedness. They're always working at the same time onto different ends. Here's the spiritual forces of wickedness. Oh, that will, everything he just said for the last 30 some odd minutes is just hogwash. You don't even need to pay attention to it. You just go back to your life. There might be somebody here today that the Holy Spirit is working in such a way that said, I cannot continue in the darkness. And that's why we have a time of response. Maybe for you, you just come and say, I'm going to take a, take a, take a little bit of a, um, a cue, so to speak, from the man that we read about. He, he sat at the feet of Jesus. I'm just going to kneel. I'm going to ask God to give me help. I, I, I can't continue in the darkness. And friends, one of the reasons we have a public invitation is sin thrives in secret. God heals in public. Amen? So when we, if you respond, it's not, I'm, I'm not here to manipulate anybody. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm saying sincerely, if the Holy Spirit is at work and you say, I got some darkness. Oh, maybe I'm overwhelmed by darkness and I want to step into the light. That's the invitation today. And I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit lead it. Might be somebody that you need to go up to and you want to pray with. Be here at the front. I'm going to stand right here. Be my joy if you've got something you want to pray about, talk about. And I'm not in any rush today. We're, we'll have a service. We're going to have communion. Praise the Lord. But need to sit down and talk later today. Adrian Rogers always said it this way. The devil's got two days. Yesterday and tomorrow. God has one day. Today. Today. Would you bow your heads with me? Today. Today, 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 the day to step out of the darkness is today. Father, we believe Jesus is alive, and what we see in this passage is, is not a 
knockdown, drag out, back and forth battle between Jesus and the spiritual forces of wickedness. He shows up and it's clear from the get-go he has all power and authority and dominion forever and ever and ever. God, give us grace that we are not a church that hears but doesn't do. We are not a church that stays stationary, but we go. We go into the darkness. Not a lamp placed under a bowl. And I pray right now in Jesus' name, there are people here that they have been overwhelmed or stuck or feel trapped in the darkness. That the Holy Spirit will bring the light of the gospel to bear. To say there is no pit so deep and so dark that Jesus cannot go into and bring you out. Lead us now. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.